Thanks very much, Eric, and welcome, everybody, to Bethany Community Church Online. It's a joy and privilege to have you with us as we continue to worship in ways unforeseen, and yet uh, we continue to worship, and we continue to listen together for the revelation of the Holy Spirit in order that we might be shaped to be people of hope in the midst of unprecedented times. So thank you for making a moment to join us today. Please pray with me as we consider what God has to say to us through Acts chapter 9. Father, we want to thank you that we can gather in places scattered throughout the nation and the world to listen for your voice. And we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that we would receive revelation in order that we might be responsive to that revelation in order that we might be filled with nothing less than the life of God so that we can represent your heart well in our world. Thank you. We commit this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, If you are a baker or a cook, you know how critical it is to pay attention to the recipe because you can cook something and have every ingredient in it except one. And if you miss the main ingredient, it can be profoundly disappointing. I asked my wife, uh, who is the primary cook in our home, if she could recall ever a time when one main ingredient was missing from a recipe. And she shared, though I don't remember this, but she shared, imagine making perfect cinnamon rolls without any cinnamon. And if you can just imagine that for just a moment, you're in search of a cinnamon roll, And then you see the perfect cinnamon roll. It's large, it's fluffy, it's frosted, it's beautiful. And inherent in that is a great deal of expectation. You bite in and there's no cinnamon at all. That would be disappointing. And I would suggest that many people look at what has become institutional Christianity and they see a cinnamon roll and they're hungry for a cinnamon roll. And so they jump in They take a big bite, and then, though not instantly, but over a period of time, it begins to dawn on them, this is actually not what I was looking for at all. And this is why we find uh, millennials and those younger than millennials leaving the church in record numbers because religious systems and religious organizations and religious institutions and doctrinal statements have often become cinnamon rolls without the cinnamon. And what I mean by that is there's a great deal that's there that looks authentic, but the main fundamental primary ingredient is missing. And when the primary ingredient is missing, it's no longer authentic Christ-infused faith. And it's that primary ingredient that is our topic of conversation this morning as we look at the conversion of a man named Saul who became Paul. And I would suggest that as we closely look at three facets of this story in Acts chapter 9, we discover the ingredients that are secondary and the ingredients that are primary. And we do this by looking, first of all, at Saul slash Paul's prior life and then God's intervention and then the ministry of hospitality and transformation through a man named Ananias. So Saul's prior life, God's intervention, and then this ministry of Ananias. So let's look at these three things together, beginning with Saul's prior life, Saul who became Paul. We read in Acts chapter 8 verse 1 that when the first martyr of the church, Stephen, was executed, stoned to death by religious leaders, uh, that uh, Saul was in hearty approval 
of what was happening. In other words, uh, Saul, prior to coming to Christ, was, as Eric read in the scripture, a persecutor of Christians. And so Saul had a great deal of zeal, but it was zeal without knowledge. And zeal without knowledge, I'm going to tell you, is incredibly destructive. He had a wrong view of holiness. So let me ask a question here with you and follow along. If you know the story of Saul, become Paul, and we'll call him Paul from henceforward. Did Paul love God? Uh, Did Paul love God's revelation in the Bible? Did Paul study that revelation? Did Paul teach that revelation? Did Paul defend that revelation? Did Paul try to obey that revelation? And in every case, the answer is what? Yes, 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 and yes. Six times yes. This man was kind of obsessed with revelation from God, seeking it, defending it, teaching it, obeying it, And yet he was missing one primary ingredient. And this, I would suggest, should be a warning to anyone who loves God, loves God's revelation, studies that revelation, teaches that revelation, defends that revelation, tries to obey that revelation. You can get it all right but one thing, and if you miss the one thing, you miss the main thing. And I'm telling you, zeal is not the the main thing. Bible knowledge is not the main thing. Self-discipline is not the main thing. Race is not the main thing. Female empowerment is not the main thing. The environment is not the main thing. The economy is not the main thing. The election is not the main thing. Your party is not the main thing. Why? Because unless one is tapped into the main thing, which is the source, which is Christ, we're not moving toward wholeness. No matter how religious it looks, no matter how zealous it is, we are not moving toward wholeness without Christ. What we learn from this text, if we learn nothing else, is that Christ is the definite article, all caps, the source, the reference point, the animating force in the universe. And every one of us are invited to be tapped into the source that is Christ in our daily living so that our words, our choices, our sexuality, our vote, our online presence, our solitude, our hospitality, our work, our rest, so that everything that is who we are flows out from Jesus. And when everything flows out from Jesus, not only will you look like a cinnamon roll, you'll taste like a cinnamon roll. But until that, you can have all the ingredients save the main one, and it's busy, and it's loud, and it's zealous, and it's religious, and it may be even, and I put this in quotes, effective, it is not what God has in mind. And and Paul was missing the main ingredient. He was religious, but religion without Jesus gets ugly very fast. Religion with Jesus is not Jesus' words. Religion, quote-unquote, with Jesus means that Jesus' life has infused us. The Apostle Paul says, Paul, who was converted, says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look, it's not about words. He learned that well. It's not about words. It's about power. He said in Galatians chapter 5, it's not about being religious. It's about uh, displaying this fruit that ripens in our lives called the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. And as I uh, opened one of my social media accounts this last week and was kind of, um, it's too strong of a word, but I'm going to use the word assaulted with a great deal of religious zeal from evangelicals over politics and, 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 and conspiracy theories of viruses and masks. I wrote in my journal, 
Why are so many evangelicals mean-spirited? Why is that? Why so mean, so arrogant, so combative, so judgmental, so fearful, so moralistic? And increasingly, I believe that the answer is because like, like Paul, we have literally every ingredient other than the main ingredient. We're not infused with the spirit that is Christ. This is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul later after conversion says this, I'm profoundly concerned that lest as the serpent deceived Eve in Genesis chapter uh, three, I'm concerned that your heart, though you're religious, though you're zealous, though though you're going to Bible study, though you're doing things, though you're protesting in a march, though you look right, I'm concerned. Over what? That your heart would be seduced away from, and I love this phrase, the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You can have it all right, but if you don't have the main ingredient, you don't have it right. And in Paul's prior life, that was, that was who he was. In Philippians chapter 3, when Paul is sharing a bit of his biography prior to his response to Christ, he says this, if anyone had confidence to boast about their religious credentials, it would be me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was part of the nation of Israel. I was the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness of the law, found blameless. I studied the law, learned the law, memorized the law, did the law, obeyed the law, defended the law. But I was wrong. Yeah, that's a very important word today. Shouting louder doesn't make you holier. Studying harder doesn't make you holier. Defending your view doesn't make you holier. Christ is the ingredient. And so Paul needs Christ, which brings us to the second facet of the story. I love this. God's intervention in the life that is Paul. So if we read in Acts chapter 9, Saul is breathing threats of murder against the disciples. And uh, he's traveling on the Damascus Road because uh, Christianity is now breaking out, if we can say it that way, in Damascus. And he's going to go persecute Christians there. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashes around him. And he falls to the ground, and he hears a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Now, that's a, like a dramatic revelation. And in, a, in an instant, Saul, who becomes Paul, realizes that everything that he believed was wrong. Now, follow this with me for just a second, because... Uh, Paul receives here a dramatic revelation. And I honestly, I wish I knew why he received a dramatic vision when so many people don't get much of anything other than the daily grind of a culture that sucks us dry through division and oppression and trivial entertainment and financial worries and health worries. But in spite of that, I'd argue that vision, which transformed Saul into Paul, vision is there to be had for anyone who pays attention. Psalm 19, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. 
Psalm 104, consider the hydration cycle of nature. Consider the mountains. Uh, consider, consider the seas. Consider the wildlife. Romans chapter 2, consider natural law, your longings for justice and beauty and intimacy and peace. It's all there. And all of that, those revelations in your heart, those revelations in community, those revelations in nature, all of those things are intended to be hungers and thirsts that will lead us to Christ as we open ourselves up to revelation. So, so we want to be open to revelation. And then once we're open to revelation, recognize God is already revealed. There's revelation for all of us. We don't need to be struck by lightning. We can just see lightning. <laughs> we, we, can, we can enjoy through creation the revelation that points us to Christ. So make sure if you're hungry and thirsty in this moment for peace, for meaning, for deliverance from anxiety, from, from deliverance from hidden addictions, make sure that you're leaning into that hunger and then drinking from the source that is Christ. Because no other source will satisfy your hunger. The news cycle will not satisfy. Casual sex won't satisfy. Getting mad at people online won't, uh, won't satisfy. I need to stop drinking from everything else for a season and drink what I call spirit water only. Because if you're hungry for, uh, or thirsty for meaning or justice or clarity regarding your life's purpose and calling, then you're actually hungry and thirsty for Christ. For Paul to receive clarity regarding the nature of God's kingdom and the centrality of the risen Jesus as the king of that kingdom, Paul needed to hit a reset button. So watch what happens in this revelation. He's blinded by this light, right? And then he hears this voice. I'm Jesus who you're, perse who you're persecuting. Get up, enter the city, and I'll tell you where, you where to go and what to do. And then in verse 9, look at what you read here in verse 9. Paul was three days without sight, and he didn't eat, and he didn't drink. So God's revelation came to Saul as God led Saul into a time of sense deprivation. If I can say it this way, a time of fasting. Saul, for three days, you're not going to see anything. You're not going to taste anything. You're not going to eat anything. You're not going to drink anything. And in this space of sense deprivation, when we take away the normal senses, our senses are open to new revelation. Now, there are a lot of reasons to fast in the Bible. We fast in order to attune our senses to divine revelation so that we can continue to grow. That's one of the main reasons. Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, attuning his heart to divine revelation before he began his public ministry. Moses fasted 40 days in the mountain before receiving the law that he would then take down to the people and deliver as God's revelation. Elijah, after a great victory in battle, uh, fasts. Paul, in this case, fasts. The elders in Acts chapter 13, they fast before they send out missionaries. Can I be very blunt in this moment? You need some habits of turning stuff off. You do. You got to turn your TV off. You got to turn the news off. You got to turn the social media off. You got to turn the YouTube off. You got to turn your digestive system off. Why? So, precisely so that you can be open to God's revelation in new ways. This weekend, uh, 10 women up to age 70 are up in the high mountains 
in a time of solitude, prayer, and fasting in a ministry that we have here at Bethany Community Church called Ancient Paths. And the reason it's called Ancient Paths is because in Jeremiah chapter 6, God says this, hey, um, if you're in this time when you feel stuck, seek the ancient paths. And the ancient paths are these spiritual disciplines whereby we shut everything else off, uh, socializing and social media and, and, and uh, food, access to food. And we, with all those other things shut off, we open our souls now to new revelation. That's the whole point of it. We're trying to create environments to the ancient paths ministry where our hearts are open to new kinds of revelation by shutting off the revelation that is our steady diet so that in our hunger, we turn to God. Now, many of you can't participate in our ancient paths, uh, paths ministry because you don't want to go up hiking into the high country or uh, because you don't live near Seattle or whatever it is. We're putting together a one-day self-guided ancient paths experience. And uh, you'll be able to know about that if you subscribe to spiritsoulbody.org. And so the address is on your screen, I think, right now. But if you can subscribe to that, as soon as we have that one-day package available, uh, we will let you know. And I would encourage you to do that, and here's why. Because the Atlantic Journal, uh, it, in this morning's news, has uh, published an article about the epidemic of boredom in America right now. Like, you're bored. You don't have, like, people are watching terrible things on television because people are bored. I just want to pull my hair out and sh shout from the mountaintop, there's no need to be bored. You, you can go for a walk in creation and open yourself up to revelation from God and God will give you exactly what you need to fill you with nothing less than the life of Christ in such a way that you can go back into the world as a person of hope. I try and every year do a day out of the wilderness with solitude, prayer, fasting, and overnight in the high country. I've done this for a long time and uh, years ago, Right after I began at Bethany, it was a very difficult time in my leadership role here. And I felt like quitting. And it was only a couple of years in, you know. So I went up uh, into the high country and uh, slept out at the foot of the glacier on Mount Baker. And that night I was fasting and I was alone. And there was a massive, there was a massive thunderstorm. And so there's thunder all around me but it's not hitting me. And it was, there was this beautiful word, I guess, if I could say it that way from God, Richard, I'm with you and I'm going to take care of you. Don't even worry. If the thunder did hit you, don't even worry. But, but I'm in control and I'm going, to, I'm going to walk with you and I will be with you wherever you go. And God brought to mind this, this passage out of Joshua chapter one, where God says to Joshua, I'm with you wherever you go. Don't be afraid. And I came back with a courage that I didn't have when I left because I opened myself up to revelation. You must shut stuff off and open yourself up to revelation. That's exactly what Saul slash Paul does in Acts chapter nine. It's not just that he gets, you know, one flash of light on the road. It's he gets a flash of light and then three days without food, without water, without sight. Why? So that God can reveal God's character in the person of Jesus to Saul so that he can become Paul, so that he can live in God's story. You need revelation.
The larger point, though, isn't fasting or program. The larger point is that you develop kind of this openness to whatever God wants to reveal to you so that you continue to grow the rest of your days. The words that Saul had studied were true words, but he needed a, like a new lens through which to read the words so that he could now be actually in the story. He needed, the, if I can say it this way, the main ingredient. And I will just say to you, if you're in Christ, God will continue for the rest of your life to give you a new lens. In 1997, I changed my view on women in ministry in the church. In the year 2000, I was in Central America, and I changed my view on what the Bible has to say about economics. In 2002, right after 9-11, I read a book entitled Why the Rest Hates the West, and it changed my view on uh, nationalism and and the notion that America is like this preferred country. In 2010, I changed my view on science and faith, especially regarding uh, the age of the earth. And you may think as you're listening to that, oh, poor Richard, he's throwing away the faith. (laughs) I would say to you, thank you, God, for continuing patiently to peel away layer after layer after layer so we can continue to grow. So the point here is this, Create environments where you're open to revelation because response to revelation is how you're transformed. And if you are no longer responding, if you are no longer changing, if the last time you changed a view on anything regarding your faith is 10 years ago, then you're a fossil, I'm telling you. And and, and, and you become a turf defender rather than a disciple. Disciples keep growing. How do I know? Paul says at the end of his life, Philippians 3, I have not yet attained the fullness of what God has for me. He continued to grow until his last breath, so should you. And then the third facet that's so interesting in this story is there's this ministry of hospitality and transformation. God says to Saul, you're going to go to Damascus and there's going to be fasting and and, uh, prayer and blindness. And then meanwhile, as he's on his way to Damascus, in verse 10, we read, uh, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord says to Ananias, hey, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire there at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying. He's seen in a vision uh, that a man named Ananias is going to come lay hands on him so that he can regain his sight. So God says to Ananias, hey, Ananias, I want you to go and and talk with this guy named Saul. He has had a vision, and you need to go lay hands on him so that he can see. Now, this guy is very interesting, Ananias. You don't know anything about him in the Bible other than he shows up in this one story. He's here and nowhere else. And I find that hopeful and significant in my own life anyway. I realize I don't need to play some gigantic part in God's story. God is concerned with my faithfulness, not the number of followers I have on my social media, not how many books I sell. And so if you have a lot of followers on social media, if you have a large influence, great. If you don't, no problem. But it's only okay if you're faithful. Some 
God wants to give them more influence. And like Jonah, they're running from influence. That's not okay. Some make a goal of influence. That's not okay. But either way, this guy just shows up and then you never hear from him again. And at least for me, I go, oh yeah, it's okay to carry the torch, to do what God asked me to do, to leave the fruit in God's hands. The only thing he does is give sight to the man who would become the greatest voice of the church in history. And and we know his hesitation. When God says to him, go lay hands on Saul that he could see, in verse 13, uh, look what he says. He says, Lord, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to arrest those who call on your name. In other words, Saul arrested Christ's followers. Saul was present at the killing of Stephen and, quote, gave hearty approval to his murder. So Saul not only arrested Christians and put them in jail, Saul favored having Christians murdered. So here's Saul, like this violent, fervent, religious zealot. I mean, this is Taliban stuff or ISIS. And now uh, Ananias is being asked to practice hospitality as a Christ follower to a guy who kills Christians. Remember what Jesus said about hospitality, Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14? He says, hey, when you throw a party, if you're a Republican, don't just invite Republicans. If you're a Democrat, don't just invite Democrats. If you're rich, don't just invite the rich. If you you throw a party, this is my interpretation of Luke uh, chapter 14, but if you throw a party, it's an open-ended party. Jesus says in this Luke story, actively select people who can't repay you. And in Matthew, he goes even further, and he says, hospitality should be extended not just to your friends, but to your enemies. So Ananias becomes this example of radical hospitality, this notion that, like, I'm open, God, to sharing my life and the resource of my time and my being, my energy. I'm open to sharing with whoever you bring into my life. And remember, uh, when Saul hooks up with Ananias here in Acts chapter 9, they both believed in God. They both believed in the Bible. They both believed in studying the Bible, defending the Bible, living according to the Bible. But reading the Bible through the lens of Jesus as Messiah is completely different than how Saul was reading the Bible. When you read through the lens of Jesus as Messiah, Jesus is a lamb led to slaughter without fighting back. And so Messiah doesn't come with a sword killing his enemies. Messiah comes absorbing all violence. Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servants. And Ananias knew that and Saul didn't. So Saul become Paul would come to see that his notion of Messiah is wrong. His notion of Israel was wrong. His notion of politics was wrong. His notion of obedience was wrong. His notion of the law was wrong. Though he read the same Bible, everything was wrong. And he began to see it because of the hospitality of Ananias. And what did he see? He sees 
then Messiah is global, not national. He comes to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the old covenant law, that obedience does not result in righteousness. He comes to see that the goal is to allow this new life that is the resurrected Jesus to fill us and transform us so that an entirely new way of living spills out from us and we begin to embody then a new kingdom, a kingdom beyond political parties, beyond race, beyond nation, beyond economic systems, beyond uh, geographical challenges, beyond even cultural and tribal traditions, this holy yet incredibly malleable kingdom able to infuse life and hope and healing into every culture in the world. And Ananias knows it, and Saul doesn't know it yet. All he knows is he's seen Jesus, and he was convinced, boom, in an instant, that he was wrong. And while with Ananias, number one, he regains his sight. Number two, he gets baptized. Number three, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Number four, he eats food. Number five, he's taught and begins to study the Bible now with a whole new lens. And can you imagine going through a text with an entirely different lens so that you begin to see Jesus in every single story? That's what happened because of the hospitality of Ananias. How's your hospitality? Well, it's tough these days. We just heard uh, from the principal at Bagley that we have buildings, but we can't let anyone in. But I just want to challenge you and say, you know what? You can provide hospitality right now, right here, by phone, by FaceTime, by, as we heard today, hosting a small group of college students, even if it's on Zoom, by joining a spiritual journey class and providing the space that is your time to invest in other lives and your own healing, you can still be hospitable and are called to be hospitable. Hospitality simply means I'm sharing the gift that is my life, my time, my vulnerability, my accessibility. I'm sharing that gift in whatever way that I can in this moment in order that the other might see with the lens that is Jesus because that's how God is revealing God's character through me. So as we kind of wrap this up here, we see a pattern all through the Bible. God breaks through with revelation and we either receive it or we don't. And if we receive it, then we go out and we bless others with it and we become ourselves a source of revelation. So let's just unpack that in closing. God breaks through with revelation. Here's the thing. It's happening all the time. So the first question is this, do we see it? And then, and then the second question is, we may see it because we've shut off all the other social media so we now have bandwidth to see it. But if I see God's divine revelation in the text, in fellowship, in creation, if I see revelation, the next question is, do I, how do I respond? And if I respond to the revelation in a way that changes me, then I become a source of revelation to another. And God's desire is that the church 
would be a source of revelation. And what do I mean by a source of revelation? That you would be a source of hope and healing and mercy and wisdom and justice and compassion and joy and generosity and hospitality in this broken, darkened, cynical, fearful, anxious time. You're needed. <laughs> We're needed to shine as lights. I have a granddaughter named Eleanor, and she was up visiting us in the mountains just maybe two weeks ago or so. And there's a moment kind of embedded in my memory, a favorite moment with my new young granddaughter who is uh, not yet two, actually. We're out in the backyard, and I'm sitting on a log, and with, a, with child's eyes, if I can say it that way, Eleanor's just surveying the landscape. And there's a, there's a line of ants that are moving from one place to another, carrying little shavings of wood from where I'd cut with a chainsaw. Pretty sizable ants. Actually, for adults, we'd say this way, annoying ants. These are ants you'd spray. These are ants you'd step on. These are ants that if you're male, you'd probably hold a magnifying glass to and fry. But watch Eleanor. She see, A, she sees the revelation. Why? Well, because she's not on her phone that she doesn't own. <laughs> she sees the revelation. B, she bends down, starts looking, she watches the ants. C, she responds. She hones in on a particular ant. And she's, out, she's down on her knees like this, and then she cups her hands. And she goes, hello! I want to tell you, it brought tears to my eyes. Why? Paying attention, receiving revelation, responding, blessing. That's a Christian life. Are you there? You can be. Turn your phone off, pay attention, receive, respond, bless. Let's pray. Thanks so much, Father, for the story of radical transformation that is Saul become Paul. And we would confess this morning that uh, some of us have begun the journey of transformation, but we're stuck because we're no longer receiving revelation. Forgive us. We would confess, uh, Father, that we may receive revelation and respond but not share because of our own lack of hospitality. Would you forgive us there too? But would you now, as we respond and pray that you would be our vision, would you speak to each of us about a step we can take because we agree with you, Jesus. Our world is in desperate need of the hope and light that is Christ. May you fill us in order that we might share it according to your purposes. And we'll thank you for the adventure that awaits as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.